Hello, you've reached the Joe DeVoe Show. No one's in to take your call right now. Please leave a message and we'll get back to you just as soon as possible. Have a nice day. Hi, Joe DeVoe. It's Kate Fowley. I couldn't resist the option to leave you a voice note. I just felt really called. I also just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast and just your skills in general. It is hard to do this. As I have recently discovered, I've just started my own podcast and it is not easy interviewing people and you are just so good at it. I am so inspired by you and your podcasting abilities. So thank you so much for doing it and doing new and being you. That is really all I had to say. Thank you for existing and I'll see you on the internet. Well, that was so nice and encouraging. Thank you so much, Kate Fowley, who I recently had on the podcast not too long ago this spring. I had Kate on the podcast. So if you missed that episode, you can go back a few to check that out. I have not yet had an opportunity to listen to her podcast, but I just ran over to her Instagram to see what that was all about, and I can see that it's called Magic Woman Radio, and you know I love a title like that. So thank you, Kate, for leaving me a voicemail. It's still very new, so I was extremely excited when that came through. Yay, another voicemail! And then Laura answered a newsletter that I had sent out titled, Ask Me Anything. And she actually wrote in her question. So I will take the time to read that now. She said, hello, Joanna. I've seen on Instagram that you are on a mission to manifest a local community of friends. I so want that too. I am a 42 year old woman with two young kids, three and five years old. I'm accomplished and successful at my job, but lack a group of friends. I do have good and deep friendships, like three or four good friends, but they are not in a group. I would like to ask you, how did you start creating this community in your life? Did you organize the meetups? Is it something that happened alone? I feel lonely, so any tips would be great. Thank you. Yes, this is something that I am intentionally manifesting into my life right now. And it's still pretty early in the process because I set that intention this spring. And it really came about during the pandemic. Something that I did once the lockdowns, once the restrictions started loosening up, is I took advantage of a tiny little window of time that I have on Fridays when my son goes to this local program for a couple of hours. It just so happened to coincide with this writing group. They write out in nature every Friday in a different location. I had been lurking and following them online for a long time. And I decided I'm just gonna get my act together and take this as an opportunity to meet up with local people because one of the side effects of the pandemic was isolation and feeling very lonely and separated from community. Plus, I've had my own online business since 2004, and in 2012, when Kick-Ass Witch really started getting rolling, 
I started making a lot of friends on the internet and some of those friendships became close friendships where we would talk on the phone and get to know each other in a really intimate way. But I was still lacking that in the flesh community, you know, where you can have a really good laugh together and you can go to the movies together and have dinner parties and tea parties and go roller skating and hiking and all that good stuff. All the stuff of life, the things that make a friend group really, really special, to witness each other's lives, to go to each other's birthday parties, and even get old together and go to each other's funerals. I really wanted that feeling sense of being witnessed and witnessing other lives and sharing our lives together like that. And so it really started for me with this writing group and it was kind of slow going because we just meet up in the beginning and kind of make a little bit of small talk and then everybody goes off in their different directions and writes. But it was enough to get the wheels turning and to start asking, well, what else is going on locally? And so this spring, I just decided to, when I get a little piece of time to myself, which I don't get very often, I am a single mom who runs an online business out of her home. But when I get a little bit of time to myself, I decided I'm going to take that time and I'm going to go out in my community to connect with other people. And so I used meetup.com a lot. And there's another group online that has a really big community and they host meetups within the community. So I was looking at that and I just showed up. That's the short answer. I just started showing up and I was looking at it like dating. I was like, I am dating for friends and I know it's going to be hit or miss. I know some of these meetups are going to be a bit like wah, wah. But I also know that if I persist, I will find my people. And it really didn't take long. Granted, I still am in the beginning stages of this community building. I don't think that you can have really strong, deep, intimate friendships and community after a few months of doing this kind of thing, especially because I have such limited time, but I can see the seeds are planted. I can see who I'm really connecting with, and I really enjoy meeting up as a group. So if meetup.com is happening where you live or something comparable, I would recommend looking into that. And then also, if you have friends, but you all aren't hanging out as a group, you could be the person that changes that, Laura. You could start hosting events at your home. And if it's just three or four friends, it's not such a big group that it would be overwhelming. You could just have a little tea party or a little get together where you share tarot cards or you just sit and chat for a while. And you are the common denominator that ends up bringing the group together. My mom is the queen of this. My mom actually organizes and holds together several groups because it's a passion of hers. She gets super into it. She has like themed parties. The last one she did, she created passports for every one of the women. She calls them her ladies. <laughs> and they all pitch in like a little bit of money to pay the expenses. And then they go on like a weekend vacation together to have these themed parties that my mom organizes and she made them all passports and then every meal was inspired by a different part of the world and they would have activities that they did 
that would represent that culture and they would wear headpieces and eat the food from that culture and then at the end in the garage this is not fancy <laughs> it's very low-key but super fun and nerdy they held the olympics in a garage where they're you know throwing things into plastic cups and such and then they get like medals at the end she goes over the top to me that's like the far end of the spectrum but i bring it up to say these women appreciate it so much they thank her so profusely and they're so happy that someone is putting the effort there has to be that person so why not you maybe you are that person when i led the queen group when i used to have a program called queen there was a section on friendship and the thing that really sticks in my mind about that is how so many women in particular say they have a hard time making friends and yet there we all are saying the exact same thing women want friends but they're not making friends it's like hello we all want the same thing we can do this together i think it's just a matter of who is going to initiate and to not take it personally if people don't want to hang out with you just treat it like dating you know some people you'll click with and some people you won't but it is worthwhile ultimately to build a group that creates that mutual witnessing and really provides the stuff of life nobody wants to feel lonely no one if you're feeling it it's likely that the other people in your life are feeling it too so Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's something people need to hear now coming off the pandemic. It's something I hear people talking about, this craving to be out and about with other people. And it's good. Follow that craving. Follow that longing and be the one who brings people together. And I have a feeling they will really appreciate it. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. And today I have help from personal finance strategist and biz coach Hannah Koenig. This is going to be such a powerful episode i know i just talked at you for that long long introduction but we are only just now getting started friends i wanted to present a couple of different money experts for self-worth summer and so i kicked that off last week with jocelyn kelly reed who really leads with mindset and metaphors around feminine and masculine energy because i know that's a language that many people listening here understand and are familiar with. Plus, she's got such a fun, bold personality. So my intention this week is to follow that up with someone who is going to offer a very different vibe and hopefully add some more tools to help you navigate your personal finance journey. She takes the whole low vibe, high vibe lore completely off the table and gets down to the brass tacks of wealth creation the practical steps you need to take that actually work my absolute favorite takeaway from this conversation is this you don't have to feel worthy to be worthy she says that in passing during the conversation but i immediately perked up like ooh. 
I hear this. This is self-worth summer. And I hear what you're saying, Hannah. You don't have to feel worthy to be worthy. You are innately worthy. And you do not have to feel worthy to improve your personal net worth financially. So I look at this episode as a free education. If you're just getting started on the road to creating personal wealth, I recommend busting out a pen and paper to take some notes because Hannah offers some really down-to-earth practical advice that will really help you get going. And she's leading a free five-day online summit in October with a bunch of other amazing women and she talks about that toward the end of this episode and by the time you get there by the time you listen to everything else she's had to say I'm pretty sure you're going to be running over and signing up for that thing just like I did I'll be doing it too so if you want to do the free summit and you want somebody to talk to about it talk to me email me let me know how you feel about it because I'll be doing it right alongside you So let's get into this interview here today with Hannah. I hope you love it. It's a good one. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, this is a gift, I think, to my audience because you are a wealth and leadership mentor. And I pause on the word wealth because that is something that I know my audience is always really trying to demystify. I think this is not a wealthy crowd typically, not that there aren't wealthy people listening, but the people that I've spoken to and interacted with, this is something they struggle with. And because I'm talking to you in 2022 and inflation is going through the roof, I'm hearing about it all the time. So I was like, yes, Hannah is coming on the podcast and we will ask her all about money. Yes, I'm so excited because one, I have been there. I have been the broke backpacking nomad with no actual bank account and just a dirty wad of less than a thousand dollars trying to travel the world and trying to figure money out. And I have made almost every money mistake a human can make aside from filing for bankruptcy. So I very much felt like money was confusing and mysterious for a really long time. And I promise you that it's not. So I'm really excited to bring that conversation to the space. Yeah. Yeah. I saw on your about page that you grew up on food stamps, at least for part of the time and below the poverty line, and that you have faced down a few evictions and mountains of debt. And I just say that because I really want people to know where you're coming from, because I know a lot of people listening are also coming from that place. And I think it's easy to tune someone out who's like, yes, I will teach you how to make six to seven figures a year when you're not even really comfortably making ends meet yet. Yeah. Oh, and that's going to cost you (laughs) (laughs) $70,000 plus all of the systems that I failed to mention. And you need to have like a warm, engaged community. Yeah. So I've, I've done the business route and, and I did, I grew up super poor. I grew up in Northern Wisconsin. My father was a disabled veteran. We lived off his pension. The only thing I really got about money growing up was that we did not have it. And that was a big problem. It's one of the reasons my mom stayed in the marriage for so long because she was under-resourced. We were on, it was actually called the WIC program. I don't know if it's still called the WIC program, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was really challenging. And those challenges 
carried on into, I mean, my parents had a very I had a distorted money modeling, not only the fighting, but I remember my dad like borrowing change out of my piggy bank to buy cigarettes. And he would, he would get his pension check at the beginning, the first of every month. I have no idea how much that was, but I'm sure it wasn't a lot. I know that we don't take care of veterans the way that we should in this country, but, mm-hmm. but by like a week and a half, 10 days in, there was no money. And I carried a lot of that patterning unconsciously into my early twenties. I worked all the time. I remember having a job. I was, I think I was 20 and I worked for an insurance company full-time. It was my first salary job. I think I was making 27.5, like just under 28,000, which I thought was a lot of money. Turns out it wasn't. So then I was bartending um, and waiting tables on the weekends. And I was always at work and I never had money. I was evicted twice. I had my car repossessed. I remember like begging my grandmother for money to bail me out. I knew exactly how much I could overdraft on my bank account. Like it was beyond paycheck to paycheck. And I had so much shame and I did what a lot of people do, women especially. And I internalized the mistakes I was making with money into this story that was like, not I've made a mistake, but I am a mistake, right? Like I am bad with money. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of assumed I was, and I spent the better part of my twenties. It wasn't till, until really my late twenties and starting a business that I started to be in deeper relationship with money. Yeah. You said so many key words there, shame, women, relationship, and the shame piece you really highlighted well too, and saying, you know, I am this, like you're taking it on as an identity. And I think a lot of women are told that they're not good with money, but also they're not educated about money. So how could they Mm -hmm. be? And that creates a lot of shame. And it's exciting that you've made your way out. That's the whole point, right? You are helping other people find their way out as well. And I love the distinction that you make between creating cash and building wealth. I think that is extremely exciting. Yes. I want to talk about that. But first you mentioned, right? We, a lot of women think they're bad with money and this happens. It's not solely because we make mistakes or because we're extra hard on ourselves, we are acculturated, right? Women have an immense amount of financial power. For example, University of California, Berkeley did a study, and there have been several studies since then. Fidelity has done some, Vanguard has done some. And women statistically outperform men as investors by half a percent to 1%, which doesn't sound like that much. But for example, a, a whole percentage point on a mortgage is tens of thousands of dollars, right? So we have an immense amount of financial power, but we're off, we often find ourselves in spaces where it's really a lot of the financial spaces in the financial sector in general is not designed for women or with women in mind. There are less than a handful of financial products that are specifically for women created by women in the marketplace right now in 2022, right? There are hundreds designed by men for men. 
And so when we're in, and I, I just had this experience recently, I was booked on this podcast and it was like the last time they had a female speaker was November of 2021. And it was just like, I was bringing this message of women's financial power. And it was kind of like deaf ears. Like it was like, oh, this must be some kind of feminism thing. And it was like, I felt that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm small. Is my message not worthy? Is my message not important? And I realized that, oh, this is exactly why I do the work that I do. Because often when we find ourselves in spaces that are male dominated, that are designed by men with men in mind, we feel like we don't belong. And so if we see wealth modeled in a way that doesn't reflect us, then we feel like we don't belong with wealth. And naturally we tend to gravitate toward, and, and I did this in my own journey, I tended to gravitate toward money and teachings and things that were more welcoming to me. So, you know, I did a ton of money mindset and I did, you know, I had like the Lakshmi abundance mantras playing mm-hmm. all the time and I had the right crystals <laughs> and I pretty much anything other than creating a budget. Right. Like, I, like you give, I will sage it. I will whatever, yeah. like call in the wealth. I will read the book, but like, don't make me look at the numbers. It's yeah. such a frustrating form of bypass because, and it's kind of infantilizing in a way to be like, women love pink and like all of this kind of like, get your goods on girl, like get the purse, get the nails, get the thing and use affirmations and use what I would call spiritual bypass really. And then Mm -hmm. you can spend a lot of money on a course like that and actually never learn basic wealth building fundamentals. It's so odd. It's so airy and empty and very attractive on the surface. And when money is mysterious, while it has this allure, right. And, and the whole like girl boss, gaslight, abundance, magnetism can be really exciting because it can, it's really exciting to hear, oh, just be an overflow. You don't have to look at the numbers, but it makes money so mysterious. Cause you're like, am I vibrating correctly? Like, am I a match for this? Yeah. Um, and the truth is like, you don't have to feel worthy to be worthy. You don't have to have, I think we also think about building wealth. Like you have to have a, a lot of money to be able to partake in investing and these tangible wealth building things. And for me, when I really dove into that journey and the cash versus wealth is a huge piece of that, I was shocked at how not mysterious it was, at how actually kind of boring it was that my investment portfolio is going to continue to grow whether or not I feel good, whether or not I'm high vibe today or I'm low vibe. And when we only learn a tool, right, it's like having one muscle really developed and another underdeveloped. When we only learn one tool, then we only lean into that. And we have this kind of, because I've manifested things, don't get me wrong. I am all about that. Like if they, if those tools make you feel great, excellent. And when manifesting was the only tool I knew for creating financial stability in my life, it was this manic roller coaster of like not feeling my feelings of avoiding looking at numbers of all of these things. And all of that complication was not even necessary. And I had no idea because I did not have the financial literacy or the the grounded financial intelligence 
to understand how money worked. Yeah. Yeah. I like to use things like manifestation or an abundance mindset to get to the table, to show up, just to simply show up and then do the work to learn the thing, to understand how an asset actually can continue to make money for you when you are not touching it. (laughs) I like to, you know, use that abundance mindset to pick up the book and read and take the notes and learn if that makes sense, because it, it gets me excited and into a space of being willing to then do the work. Absolutely. And it should be right. Those tools are great and super supportive. So money is a relationship. I like to teach financial intimacy. So it's a relationship with money and there are layers to that because we have a whole psychological and emotional relationship with money, just like people do with food. We all have familial stories and conditioning. We all have cultural stories and conditioning and our own experiences. So my relationship to money is completely different from yours, is completely different from my partner's, is completely different from my best friend or even my sister, right? We, we all have those different perspectives. So when we show up to do the tangible work, it's like a lot of people have created a budget before at some point in time, but then not actually stuck with it. And often it's because, not because they're lazy, not because they're impulsive, which is something a lot of, a lot of financial education for women leans into is like, well, you're impulsive and you're a risk averse and you buy too many lattes and, you know, you treat yourself to sushi and you spent what on that outfit, which is a whole nother grape with financial education. But when we, when we're able to look at the mindset and the perspectives that are informing our action and shift those, then they can support us in taking tangible grounded steps that actually help us create a really deep aligned relationship with money. Mm. I know you're all about teaching people this and the work that you do, but can you just give one example of what a beginning tangible step might be? Yes. So actually I I can give three because it's a process. There's not just one step. So when I teach financial intimacy, there are sort of three parts of that process and we cycle through all of them sometimes simultaneously, but often if we're just starting out, we start with emotional intimacy, cultivating emotional intimacy with money. This is we're getting naked with money, right? And I talk about it this way, especially because for women, we're a lot more likely to have conversations about sex with each other than we are with money. And so it actually feels very naked. And also we're a lot more likely to get naked with somebody than we are to have real tangible conversations about money. So the first, the first step is emotional intimacy is kind of a reckoning, right? It's usually this acknowledgement of, I don't want to be here, right? I am aware that what is happening right now, my habits, my patterns, the debt, whatever is not working for me. And sometimes that's, this isn't working for me. And I, I want it to be like this. And sometimes it's like, I don't know what I want it to be, but I know I don't want it to be this. And so when we're cultivating emotional intimacy with money, with our finances, we are, it requires a little bit of safety and it requires not a little bit of safety. I would say the more safety, the better, right? And, you know, whether that's with a partner or with a financial advisor, or even just with yourself, like 
I'm in a safe space to look at this. And then it requires transparency and acknowledgement, right? Like actually how much money is in the accounts? How much do I spend? How much debt do I have? We're just looking at the numbers and taking that first action is the scariest feeling until you take the action. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I know. And it didn't, it's kind of like the monster under the bed. It gets bigger, the more we avoid it. Mm. And so in the space of emotional intimacy, it's often a reconciling of the past, the narratives, the stories, the money trauma, but it's also a healing of the present. And from there, we're cultivating a why. It's a vision for the future. So that's all under the umbrella of emotional intimacy. It sounds Uh, like a major taking inventory in a really vulnerable way. Yeah, right. If you are cultivating emotional intimacy with a partner, then it's a safe space to have an honest conversation about exactly what is going on. And maybe the things that you're carrying that have nothing to do with the relationship that are impacting the relationship. And also maybe what you'd like to be different. It's the same thing with money. It's this, it's this open dialogue. And if you let, if you're willing to get intimate with your money, your money can be like the best freaking partner ever right? Because you're like, oh, I want to build this. And money is like, let's do it, Mm. right? You're like, oh, I want to go here. Let's do it. So that's the very first layer is that reckoning, reconciling, healing the present, the transparency, and the cultivation of a why. And the why is really important because if I don't have a real reason that means something to me to work on a complex relationship, I'm not going to stick with the work the minute I don't feel like it, the minute it gets uncomfortable, the minute I want to run the other way. And so we need that anchor. The second phase of this journey is intellectual intimacy. So this is about financial intelligence. Now that I'm aware of what's going on, I am learning. I'm, I'm getting myself resourced with the tools, the information, maybe the support people that can help me figure out how do I move from here to here? That might look like creating a budget. And this was something I had a ton of aversion to initially because I was like, I grew up poor. I make money now. And that sounds like ramen noodles. And that sounds like peanut butter sandwiches. And I don't want to do that. And so I don't recommend doing that because restriction will just lead to splurging, right? If we withhold anything, if you starve yourself at some point, you're going to find yourself in the pantry with a face full of God knows what, Mm -hmm. and then you'll come to because your body is hungry. So too much restriction is not what I recommend in budgeting. I recommend creating a value-based budget and it's a budget is really about what do you want most? And then in intellectual intimacy, it's also like the emergency fund, these very grounded, very simple systems that we're learning and we're putting in place to create clarity and consistency in the relationship with money. So if we have a conversation about creating change, but we don't implement anything to support that change, it's not sustainable. We should define values-based budgeting as well, because that's when I think they can just like, whoo fly by without really landing. So you're saying if you value such and such, you prioritize that on your budget? 
Yeah. So I'm saying that a value-based budget is, and, and in general, this is my approach to money. Money gets to be the reason that you get to say yes to the things that matter to you most. So a budget doesn't mean now I can only have, I pay my bills and I buy my groceries and I put gas in the tank and that's it. A value-based budget is where we look at money and we decide what matters to me most, right? What do I want most? And actually, what am I paying for? Or where am I spending that isn't really serving me or supporting me at all, but the money is going out because I'm not, I'm not aware, right? Like I'm kind of numb in this experience, in this exchange. I'm not looking at the numbers and being like, these things matter to me. These things matter to me most. So values-based budget is where we pick our priorities. We pick our values. Like for me, I have an amazing manicurist. She does this she's Russian and it's like a three hour manicure and it's like $200. Wow. That's a lot to spend on a manicure. manicure. That's a fancy (laughs) manicure. But I, I get this manicure every four weeks. And to me, I'm like, I love it. It just feels like I am being taken care of and nurtured as somebody who nurtures other people for a whole three hours every four weeks. But there's a lot that I don't spend money on because it doesn't really matter to me. So I don't do a lot of clothes shopping. I don't have a lot of subscriptions to like TV stuff or there are a lot of other things that aren't a priority to me. I don't have a super, I drive a Prius, right? I have a multiple six figure business and I drive a Prius and it's fully paid off. And that's a great car. And I will have that car probably for the next five years at least. That's a great example. Ramit Sethi talks a lot about this too. Like we waste so much money on things that don't matter. And if you can cut back on those things because they don't matter, then maybe if you're a foodie and going out to eat at a nice restaurant is important to you, you can do that twice a week instead of frittering it away on all of these streaming services that you don't even really use. Exactly. And And I learned, I had to learn this lesson, like all of my lessons, yay, the hard way. When my business really started to create traction, because when I didn't have money, I just thought if I had more money, my relationship with money will be better, right? The problem is that I don't have it. That's the problem. And to an extent, there are volume of money-based challenges. We're not going to deny that. We're not going to bypass that. If you can't afford to live, that is a problem. And I was not in that position. I had really high cash flow in my business. And I thought, and this is really common in a lot of the, at least the digital entrepreneurial spaces, in terms of the way people are educated and sort of the culture, is that cash flow is confused with wealth. And having cash and building wealth are two very different things. It's the same with like, being rich. Being rich to me is like, that means you have a lot of cash flow and you might have a lot of nice stuff. Wealth is you have a lot of value. So that might be equity, that might be assets, but that is also like opportunity. Value gives you opportunity. And so I learned this lesson, you know, I had multiple six-figure business and I didn't have QuickBooks set up. Like that my first multiple six-figure year, I had knots in my stomach when tax season rolled around, because I had no systems in place and I had no idea. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is going to cost. I have no idea if I have enough money to pay for it. So it was just kind of this money in money out. And there was all this language of overflow. And so I was just like, make more, spend more. I'll just make more. 
that cycle is not sustainable, but it's also, it's kind of a waste of effort. It's like spinning, it's kind of like running in place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish your experience at all, but I do find typically that people who learn the hard way, it serves their greater mission ultimately. And I tend to value them more as teachers. And I I wonder if you have a take on that. Like, do you think you had to go through all of this to be able to do the kind of work that you do today? Oh, absolutely. I would not be here without without learning the hard way. And I don't know if that's just a me thing, but I have a similar value system when I am, when I'm looking to learn from somebody, if you never struggled to create what you've done, I don't know what I can learn from you. Mm. You know, it's kind of like the weight loss coach. I'm just going to make up an example, but like a weight loss coach who is a size double zero, who has the metabolism of a teenage boy telling you, oh, but this you is such a weight. thing. This is such a thing. It is this a is thing. such a thing in all fields. It's like, oh, this model, this girl retired from modeling at 23, and now she's going to teach you <laughs> how to have the body of your dreams when she was born with the body of your dreams, and she's going to tell you to eat a lot of fruit. And yeah, you can make a lot of money doing that. I will you say you can make a lot of money leveraging your privilege in a harmful way. Yes. Yeah. And it is, it is harmful. And I think what it does, this is something I've heard you talk about. And I definitely want to get back to number three. I know we ended on. Yeah, we'll get that cliffhanger. But losing trust, you end up breaking trust in a way. I think you called it investment trauma. Like people will invest Mm -hmm. in someone that's making a lot of big promises. They're all over the internet. They're very charismatic. They're telling you what you want to hear maybe they're getting rich because they're telling a lot of people what they want to hear, but then you get in it and you feel like a chump. You feel like you've been taken advantage of and it makes it that much harder to invest in yourself the next time. Yeah. And it's so important and it's so under-acknowledged. And again, a lot of what happens when people are harmed is they internalize that harm and they think something is wrong with them. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I waited to scale to seven figures. I've been running my business for a little over four years, maybe four and a half years now. And it took me about a year and a half to hit that six figure mark. And then maybe another four or five months to multiple six figures. I think that is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Which is amazing. But in my mind at the time, it was like, this is not happening fast enough. And then- I took a step back um, and I, I was noticing all of these areas where I was carrying dissonance. So I no longer do masterminds. I no longer do like group coaching, business coaching programs. I do a high level one-on-one mentorship. I work with established entrepreneurs. I work with a variety of businesses, but what I was seeing in the space and what I was encouraged to do, because I took calls with seven and eight figure business coaches who told me what I should do to grow my business. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And so many of these models were what I call an emulation model, where it's like, I have an X step process and you just follow each step and it's going to get you here. Mm. But I feel like emulation models, what I see specifically is that often those only work for maybe 10% of the people who join those programs, 
because what works for me and what works for you are completely different. We're different people. We have different families. We have different responsibilities. We have different resources available to us. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We should have different business models. We do different work, right? And that works really well on an individual level. When I sit down with my one-on-one clients and we map out step-by-step and we design their business I design their business with them, with them in mind, and it's designed to grow with them. That works really well. But a lot of people don't do that because it's not the most scalable. Right. Because it requires a lot of effort. Now, if I lump everyone into a program and say this process should work, and it only works for 10% of those people, and then only a fraction of those 10% is it even sustainable for, that's a big problem. Dare I ask, I feel like I keep getting us further and further away from the one, two, three that we're working on. But so what's the solution for scaling something like that? My approach to wealth strategy, which is something like next year sometime, I'll probably do like a, a wealth strategy course for entrepreneurs. It's it's the same in business. I do recommend learning the fundamentals. So an entry-level program when you're just starting out, I think can be really helpful to learn the language, to learn and get different ideas of what systems are and what people are doing to get perspective, Mm -hmm. right? That type of education is really helpful. Learn the fundamentals, learn about the fundamentals of sales and communication and, and marketing and nurturing and delivery. But when we get into someone's bulletproof blueprint for success, we have a problem and it's the same in the world of finance. So if you learn the fundamentals about how to be in relationship with your money, you know, personal finance is personal. And if you're a personal brand, your business is actually personal. So in personal finance, the, the advice I might give my grandmother who is 87 and retired and has a chunk of extra cash that she wouldn't mind making a little more money on, but in the short term is a lot different than the strategy I would use for myself because we have different goals and we have a different time frame and, and different desires. And we're in different positions is also different than the advice I might give my niece who's a hostess part-time and has a retirement account already set up because she's got time. Like she can make a minimal contribution right now and be a millionaire by 40. Oh, so beautiful. I hope she does it. (laughs) I'm really impressed with her. And, and she might at some point decide, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to take this all out and do something impulsive. And either way, she'll have that option. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying about personal finance because it circles back around to the word intimacy and intimacy is not cut and paste. It's not paint by numbers. It requires listening and being in relationship, like you were saying, and being really present with money. I mean, we're talking about money, but with anybody. And if you think about how you interact in a relationship, if you're not present and if you're not receiving as much as you're giving or vice versa, it's not going to work. Yeah. And we get into cycles of avoidance or And actually they're kind of three cycles we'll cycle through. And often we have some of them going on at the same time in different ways, hoarding, overspending and avoiding in general. And I used to cycle through all three. Like I would 
make a bunch of mistakes, then I would work my butt off, hoard a bunch of money, clean them up. And then all of a sudden now I have no debt and a little bit of money. And then I would go crazy. And then I would just avoid looking at the situation I just recreated. Right. Yes. That happens a lot, which is why being in relationship with money, like if I am avoiding my partner, if something's going on and I'm avoiding my partner, I'm avoiding being in relationship with someone. And we often avoid uncomfortable things, but the uncomfortable things are the things that make us great. And so I, I highly recommend the rip off the bandaid approach of diving into emotional intimacy, looking at it, then cultivating that intellectual intimacy, the financial intelligence, putting a few tangible systems in place. And that brings us to the last layer, which is really, really lovely, which is experiential intimacy, right? You get to experience the benefits of putting in the real work of prioritizing what you want most and what really matters to you and supporting yourself in creating that or supporting your money and allowing it to go where you want it to go and not just go all over the place. So experiential intimacy is really where we begin to build wealth and we get to experience what it's like to, you know, as an entrepreneur, I also have an emergency fund for my business. So worst case scenario, if something happened, a meteor hit, the internet evaporated, I could pay myself my salary and all of my team for six to eight months and continue to grow like we're growing, right? Without cutting anything, with no cash flow for six to eight months. Now that creates a lot of relaxation for my nervous system because mm. I'm not freaking out, you know, client to client or launch to launch. And I saw this mirrored when I became an entrepreneur and I'm working with entrepreneurs and helping them grow their business. So I'm going to, I'm going to share some st statistics. It's between six, only six and 12% of entrepreneurs. And, and this is an SBA statistic ever earn over the six figure mark. And that's revenue, not profit. So that's wow. the money. And, that, and you're saying yeah. ever, ever as well. Yeah. Ever. Currently. And I think that that's changing. I hope that's changing because I was floored when I saw that statistic. Especially and, if you live where I live, which is Los Angeles. Like, holy moly. That yes. is very, I mean, living on that is, it's, it, it sounds like a lot of money. Six figures. Try living in Los Angeles. It is oh, nothing. Six figures. <laughs> yes. And uh, so that's six figures in revenue. However, there's another statistic. I think it was like 80 some percent. And I, I forget of six-figure earners are living paycheck to paycheck, mm. right? And so I knew that mentality from the way I grew up, from the way I was in relationship with money when I worked traditional jobs. And then I came into the entrepreneurial space and I saw people operating, you know, and I was, I had clients who were having like, you know, 50 plus thousand dollar months and then turning around the next month, freaking out and saying, I have no money. And that is a systems issue. And I'm like, how do we have no money here? And, and this like constant scrabble, scrambling. So, so many people were living launch to launch or client to client the way people in corporate were living paycheck to paycheck. And it's because the way you get paid can shift, but without systems and without intentionality and acknowledgement of process, you're not shifting the behavioral pattern. Oh gosh. And it's so much to do with, 
self-worth and I believe shadows, like old patterns that we reenact. You can do that with a million dollars just as well as you can a thousand. If you have an unhealthy pattern in place, that's something you have to heal or you're just going to take it with you going forward. Yep. And that is the reckoning. It's like, oh, the way I've been operating. I remember making a ton. I was making a ton of money and I was just letting it sit in the bank. And then I was paying off on my credit cards just enough to let the next payment for the mastermind I was in or my business manager go through. And I remember at one point being like, this makes absolutely no sense when I actually, cause I was actually looking at my account one day and I saw like, I don't know, an $89 interest charge, which is $89 is not a lot of money, but over time, these incremental interest charges, when I, I was like, there's no reason I should be having to pay it, but I was so afraid to let the money move out of my bank account. Mm. So, so it is both right. Because we're not calculators, we're not computers. So if it were just a numbers thing, then everyone would just figure out the math equation and move on. But there, there are layers and there's nuance and there's behavioral patterning and there's financial trauma. Yes. This is again why it's so great that you use a word like intimacy, because even when I hear you talking about overflow, hoarding, overspending, avoiding, I'm hearing fear, fear, fear. I'm just hearing fear. Like in all of the examples you're giving, I just hear this baseline of fear. Yeah. And money is not something we have to be afraid of. That to me, again, was just so shocking of like, oh my goodness, this is not mysterious. So I went from, in 2016, I didn't know my credit score and I didn't have a bank account. Like I was just- Wow, that was was not very long ago. That's not that long ago. And then I, I had to figure out my credit score and look at my credit score, which I thought I was going to die because my partner and I wanted to buy a home. So we bought a home at the end of 2017. I did not think that was possible for me. This is before I started my business. I started my business in 2018. I went into a significant amount of debt to start my business. I also think debt is really demonized and it feels like a lot more weight than it actually is. I helped a couple recently who had like $80,000 in debt clear that, but they were like considering filing for bankruptcy and they both had really great salaries. And it was just like the feeling of it and the fear of it. So I went into a bunch of debt and then I started making really good money in my business. And so I paid off the debt. And then I realized that cash flow was not the same thing as wealth. And I realized that I was not supporting myself. Like I was wasting a lot of time worrying about money because I was contingent on cash flow with no systems in place. Mm -hmm. And so I really, that's when I dove so deep into, okay, I'm going to learn everything, everything I can learn about money. And in the course of a year, I paid off and I didn't have credit card debt at that point, but you know, the car got paid off anything else that was lingering the living room furniture that was on an interest-free payment plan for five years out or whatever that got paid off. Like everything except for my mortgage taken care of. I created an emergency fund for my business, an emergency fund in my personal life. I paid myself a six-figure salary. I saved 
$100,000. And, oh, and I maxed out my a Roth IRA, two years of a Roth IRA. I created a 401k through my business that allows me to contribute as an employee and for my spouse and then match as an employer. And I did all of that in the course of a year. And my cash flow was not significantly higher than the year before. It was just my relationship to money shifted. And I saw, I got accountable and mm-hmm. I became responsible. And I'm like, these are resources and I'm a steward of my resources. I would not leave the water in my shower running all day. Like that to me just seems wasteful and irresponsible. And so my relationship with money, I was like, oh, that was really, I was just being wasteful and unintentional. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel like I was respecting my work or my time. Thank you so much for breaking that all down to the nitty gritty too, specifically. I really appreciate that. And I also am interested and excited that you're talking about experiential intimacy, because I think a lot of procrastination can happen in the intellectual intimacy part where you're like preparing and learning and planning, but you need more preparing and more learning. I notice people get stuck there and moving on to the experiential piece where you're jumping into it. I feel like deserves like a little bit more play in terms of mistakes and failure. Like how much of that are you willing to go through to get that level of intimacy? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and as somebody who's made, I mean, all of the mistakes, almost all of the mistakes, I also haven't ever given my bank account and information to a Nigerian prince. So there, there, are a couple, <laughs> there are a couple of financial mistakes I haven't made, but a lot of big ones. The thing about making a ton of mistakes, the, the, the beautiful gift that I got from all of that was this awareness that, oh, if I fuck it up, I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so like, regardless of how much debt you have or how much money trauma or fear you have, you can figure it out. And and most people think it's a lot worse than it actually is. And that's why people file for bankruptcy or people stay in these patterns is because they think that shifting them is going to be an impossible amount of work or that it's going to be miserable or that it's going to be restrictive or that it's going to, you know, it's going to take a decade and it's not really going to pay off. And why don't I just live now? You know, the world is falling apart anyway. But when you create financial sovereignty, like our, our financial sovereignty gives us a fighting chance for the future we actually want to see. Mm. Go ahead. I'm so excited about your story. And I know you have something coming up, some sort of, is it online? Of yeah. Wealth? Okay. What is that? So, yeah. cause people that are listening are like, okay, okay. More, more, what are we doing oh, here? Ladies? Show me what to do. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Please. Last year I founded the lead well summit. It's a virtual wealth event, and this is for everyday leaders, entrepreneurs, professionals, side hustlers. If you want to have a beautiful relationship with money, if you want to build tangible wealth in a not confusing, not mysterious way, I want you to come join this event. It's October 17th through the 21st. It's five days. We have some of the best, most diverse financial educators in the world. All of our speakers are women. It's 15 women, Tanya Rapley of My Femme Finance. We have Chantelle Chapman from The Trauma of Money. 
Raquel Curtis, the bougie banker, Claire Wasserman from Ladies Get Paid. And everyone is bringing different conversation to the table and it's all practical. So whether you're wanting to learn how to negotiate your salary, how to ask for more money and actually get the raise, or you're wanting to learn the beginner steps of investing, or you're wanting to learn how to manage money as an entrepreneur and leverage your wealth, all of that will be included. How to prepare for a recession, how to budget, multiple multiple ways to budget, how to eliminate debt, student debt, all of those things will be covered. It's five days. It's totally free. And really like the goal is I want money to be the reason that you get to say yes to the things that matter to you most for women. Like money is the number one cause of stress and that doesn't have to be the case. Mm. Women have an immense amount of financial power. And unfortunately it so often goes unacknowledged. And I want you not only to know that you've got an immense amount of financial power, but I want you to know how to use it. I'm so excited that it's free. It's called the lead. Lead well well summit. Lead well, live wealthy. Yep. Lead well, live wealthy. Okay. I'm definitely going to need a link for the show notes. Yes. We will send you a link. It's Mm leadwellsummit.com. Yeah. And it's the best time. And I nerd out just as much as everyone else because I'm like, I get to learn from these people too. And we get to have big conversations about building real tangible wealth. And you don't need a lot of money to have a seat at the table. You can start right now. You can start building tangible wealth right now, whether that's through your business or you know through your job. And a lot of us are just missing out on a, like a life-changing amount of money and the wealth of opportunity that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think about values-based budgeting, I hear you say the word well, and I'm thinking wellness and how that's such an attractive industry for so many women. Like we want to participate. We want to go see this special doctor or buy this cool product. And it's all extremely expensive, even though it's often said that health is the first wealth. And I have found myself in a cycle with that where it's like, oh my gosh, I have done all this research on this amazing doctor I can't afford, or I want to go, you know, have this experience, this retreat, and I can't afford it. So when I'm thinking like value-based budgeting, I'm thinking that I'm thinking I value that. And so I would encourage anybody listening to tap into what that thing is for them and then do the free summit and bring that to the summit, like in mind. So you have that sense of motivation. Like, what am I even here for? I'm here because I want X, Y, Z. And if you're constantly stressed about money, it's like, I'm maintaining, I'm not enriching my wellness or my quality of life. Cause now I have to go meditate <laughs> for 45 minutes because I'm fucking panicking because I don't have systems in place that allow me to be like, Hey, if something happens, cause stuff happens. Yeah. Right. Stuff happens. You know, your dog might decide to eat half a beach towel mm-hmm. and that might be out of your control. So when you have systems in place, you can be like, Oh, remember I've planned for emergencies. We're good. Yes. Goes back to, I was listening carefully is why I keep quoting you back to yourself, but you were talking about 
your nervous system being calm, having those FU funds, I forget what you called them. It was not a FU fund, but having that cushion for your business and your personal life does allow your nervous system to be at peace. So you can calmly make decisions instead of swinging for the fences and desperation when your dog eats half a beach towel. Mm -hmm. And you get to prioritize your values. So it doesn't mean everything's off the table. It means, oh, the things I want most are automatic. And then everything from there is just, does this matter to me or no? And I get to move through life in a way where, again, I'm a steward. It's financial sovereignty. Yeah. For people who are on the go and not staring at a screen right now, where beyond the conference can they find you? How can they find your work online? Yes. So you can find me at I am Hannah Koenig on Instagram. Um, You can also find my website. It's hannah-koenig.com. That's K-O-E-N-I-G. Yeah. And come say, I love new friends. I'm not one of those people who's like, so beyond interacting with other humans, like you can pop into my DMs and engage with me. I would love to hear from you. And, and the summit, I think we will also have an audio option. So if you want to listen in, but you can't be plugged in and watching every day, that will be available as well. But I definitely encourage you to come hang out. It's dripped out over a week. It's totally free. So you can catch things in your own time. It's not like timed sessions. You'll get access to each of the day's session, like every day. So you don't have to be locked in. You can do that on your commute. You can do it on your walk. Yeah. Yeah. I would block off that time on your calendar as well. It's October 17th to what? 21st. Yep. 21st. Might as well block out that time. It's free and learn what you can take notes. And thank you so much, Hannah, for doing this today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a really good conversation. It was such a good conversation, and if you are feeling inspired and fired up, I recommend going over to sign up for the Lead Well Summit. I already have. I'm super stoked to do it. I think it would be a really interesting conversation starter for us as a community. If you're hanging out with us over on Discord because you're a patron, Let's talk about it. Let's talk about money. Let's all rise financially together. I'm so into that vibe. And because Self-Worth Summer is very much still happening, I still am offering 50% off both audio journeys. The Shadow Love audio journey and the Magic Star audio journey are both 50% off when you put this code in at checkout all lowercase, no spaces, code self-worth, self-worth. When you put that in at checkout, it will roll 50% off. Shadow Love is an audio journey that I created really to frame shadow work as an act of self-love. It's about reclaiming the rejected parts of yourself, and it is delivered in a podcast format, a series of podcasts. So is The Magic Star, which is my personal formula for manifestation, and they are both very much like this podcast. If you enjoy this energy, if you like this style, you might enjoy those too, and you can find either one of them over on Gumroad or in the show notes for this episode. I hope you are enjoying the self-worth summer content so far and that life is treating you very well. 
Until we meet again, always remember, life is change, change is magic, magic is life, and the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.